Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome back to Faith Walk. Faith Walk, where we preach repentance, deliverance, and walking in wholeness. Tonight, we are diving into the topic of suicide. So, we're going to look into this epidemic using biblical principles to challenge what we've been told in relation to the act of suicide and God's treatment on the matter. So let's first start off by defining suicide. According to Webster, suicide is defined as the act or an instance of taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. Taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. So just in that definition alone, taking one's own life, it's not your life. That's where the problem starts because we're taking something into our own hands and we're making decisions on something that doesn't belong to us. And when you take something that doesn't belong to you, it's called stealing. So we first have to acknowledge that this isn't our life. So that's the number one problem with that. Psychology Today states that suicide is a tragic event with strong emotional repercussions for the survivors and families of its victims. Now, statistically speaking, about 800,000 people die every year because of suicide. That's roughly one death every 40 seconds. That is completely devastating. Every 40 seconds, someone is ending their life, choosing to end their life. So tonight I'm coming from a place of facts and encouragement, but I'm also coming from a place of someone that can relate to those who have struggled with suicidal thoughts, who have attempted suicide, or even some of you that still may be struggling with it. But before we get into my testimony, let's first explain how you get to the point of total despair. See, despair is an illusion of the enemy. Despair tells you there is no solution. Despair tells you there is no hope. There is no answer to the problem. And because Christ is the ultimate solution, the ultimate answer to the problem, you first must reject him before you can accept despair. See, you're not going to ask God to leave like the country has asked God to leave. You take prayer out of schools and People want to get married and they want to take God out of the vows and you want to remove him from things that affect your own will and think that despair isn't there. See, light and darkness, can't they don't coexist together. So as soon as you shut out light, darkness immediately shows up. So when someone is in despair, they have completely given up hope. They have failed to accept an unwanted reality, and there is a darkness that will overshadow any and all reasoning and logic. That's why a lot of people say, I can't believe they took their life over a relationship. I can't believe they took their life over a career loss. Because you are not in that situation. You haven't been overshadowed. When someone is in complete despair, it's like having tunnel vision on a problem, and they can't see a solution to that. So when you accept hopelessness and despair with no solution, you are overtaken with troubles, but the key word is accept. So remember, once you reject the truth, you have nothing left to do but accept the lie. See, the truth is we're all doomed without Christ anyway. The reason we have hope is not just because we have been saved from hell, which is very important, but it's because we have the ability through him to walk in victory now. I don't subscribe to the pie in the sky. I want my blessings on earth. I have to be alive to influence people to Christ today. I have to be victorious today. I'm not going to live my life being beat up by the enemy and being defeated and being miserable because I'm waiting for my mansion in the sky. Yeah, I'm waiting for my mansion, but guess what? We can walk victorious now. So before we experience a breakthrough, we experience the storm first. Hence the word breakthrough, you're breaking through something. We all know the saying, it's always darkest before dawn. But when you are coming through something, 
that is the moment when you have been pushed to the ultimate test. That's why we don't operate in our own strength. We operate in the strength of Christ. You know, it's interesting because in school, I was a biology major. Okay, so anyone that's a science major, they can understand, or anyone that has a degree in anything understands the challenges of school. And what I would do is I would get that syllabus and look for the very last day of school, the very last day of finals, because I wanted to know how much mess the teachers were going to put me through and how long this was going to last. So I would look for that last day, no matter how hard it got, no matter how many 10-hour research papers I had to do, how many lab projects. I looked forward to that last day. That was my hope. That was my finish line. That's what kept me going. Only got two months left. Only got three weeks left. Only got one week left. Even when I think about runners, I also ran track and field before. So when you look at runners, people that either run marathons or they sprint, they see that finish line. They know how long they have left. Your body may want to faint. Your body may want to cramp out. You may even want to pass out completely but you see the finish line and they're able to push themselves because they can see the end. A woman in labor. When the doctor says one more push, whoo, Lord, that last push is just what she needed to hear to give it everything she has. That was her finish line. So the the reason why 800,000 people are killing themselves every year is because they can't see a finish line. So you're talking about endless exams. I can't see the end of my biology date. A runner who can never stop. A woman that can never stop pushing. Where is the motivation to keep going? We need to see a finish line. And without hope, you feel like you have no purpose. And without purpose, there's no need or reason to exist. We're taught that everything has a purpose. Even children know. If they're writing with a pen and the pen runs out of ink, it served its purpose. They throw it away. You got a car. It's on its last leg. It finally conked out up. You know what you say? It served its purpose. The car is done. Even a, even a TV, you know, when it finally is on its last leg, you throw it out because it served its purpose. Unfortunately, some people treat other people like objects when you can't get any more out of somebody or somebody may have done that to you. They feel like, well, that's all I can get out that person. I'm done with you. You served your purpose. So when a person is wanting to end their life, they feel discarded. They feel like they have no more use. They feel like there's no purpose. Therefore, there is no need to exist. So when we talk about depression, because depression, unhappiness, all of these things lead to the act of suicide. It can be brought on by grief. Because, see, one thing I notice is a lot of the church world will dismiss the mental illness side of this, and they want to make everything spiritual. And then you have your licensed professionals that will acknowledge the mental illness, but then they don't understand spirit because they're in the flesh. Therefore, they can't even acknowledge the spiritual part. We're going to talk about both. So when we look at depression, it can be caused by so many things. So this can come on by grief or loss of a loved one. You know, for some people, when someone dies, it's extremely hard to get over. It's traumatizing. It's hard for you to be happy because you really can't accept that that person is gone. That can send you into a depression. The loss of a job can send you into a depression, especially if your identity is tied into what you do. If you're a lawyer, if you're a teacher, if you're a mechanic, if you work at Walmart, that's not who you are. That's what you do. It's important to know the difference because if you get that pink slip, and you don't get to come back the next day, you don't end your life over that. That's not who you are. That's who you did for a season. That's what you did for a season. But, see, we don't know because we're taught from little kids when someone says to us, what do you want to be when you grow up? So right now it's about me. What do I want to do? I want to do this, A, B, and C. So then you figure out this is where I want to go to school. This is where I don't want to go to school. This is where I'm going to live. This is what I want to marry. And you, go, you make all these plans for your life only to find out it didn't go with plan. Now you're unhappy. Now you're depressed because you had a whole host of ideas that were never God's ideas, that were never God's intentions. As believers, our will must line up with his will. Sometimes that's painful because you have to be willing to let go of things, but you have to realize not everything you want is good for you. Not everything you want you're going to get. And if you don't get it, you don't need it. 
we're children to God. I have a six-year-old. Do was up to her. She would eat chocolate juniors and cupcakes for breakfast every day if I let her. She'd get sick. She'd be terribly ill and malnourished. She's never going to get that. But it's going to take her maturity to get to a certain age to realize, oh, I'm glad I never got that. I'd be sick. My stomach would be ruined if I had, if I, my mom had did what I asked her to do. But we're the same way with God. We have a whole list. We write down what we want. Hey, God, here's the sheet. This is who I want to marry. This is what I want to drive. This is what I want to look like. This is where I want to live. And we treat him like a genie. And we say, by faith, I claim this in the name of Jesus. I, I speak positivity. And when that list don't come through, you are unhappy. Because first, let's take it back to the root. This isn't your life. If we could accept that this isn't our life, we wouldn't have a hard time letting go of certain things. But when you can't accept that, you automatically reject him, which means you automatically accept despair and sorrow because you didn't get what you wanted. Depression is brought on by feeling incapable of achieving happiness. And that's the problem right there, happiness being contingent on a situation, on on a circumstance, or a person. And when those situations and circumstances change and that person changes or leaves, we're not happy anymore. That's why we operate on joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We know that scripture. But the joy is what keeps us going in spite of a situation because we know that when it's all said and done, our treasure is in heaven, not on this earth. So first we have to realize who our priorities are because if our heart is tied to anything other than Christ, it's going to be taken away from us. Depression can be a side effect of different medications. Nowadays, there's a pill for everything. And I'm not just talking about blood pressure, cholesterol, post-op pills. I mean everything. If you can't lose weight fast enough, you can take a pill for it. If you lose weight too fast, you can take a pill. If you're sad, take a pill. If you're too happy, take a pill. The doctors and the pharmaceutical companies who work hand-in-hand, who pump you up full of drugs because it's a trillion-dollar industry, they don't want to treat the symptom. They want to drug you. So now you pull out all of these toxins. you intoxicated, okay? That You don't even have to drink to be intoxicated. Just be on all these medications, and you're not even functioning right in your sober mind, and all of these side effects are causing issues. Depression can be brought on by hormonal imbalances. Some women, good Lord, PMS can be real, and it can hit you hard. Some people have hormonal imbalances. There's health issues. There's all types of reasons. There's mental illness. Some people have bipolar. Some people have mania disorder. Some people were misdiagnosed, and the medicines that they put on have been caused of depression. There's so many reasons for that. We can't dismiss that part of it. But we also can't address this without acknowledging the spiritual aspect because it can also be spiritual. Demonic oppression is real. It can be a generational curse. There are things in different bloodlines that travel down from generation to generation. My mother has a saying, she would call them granddaddy demons because they've been around for so long. They've been embedded in the family bloodline for so long, nobody has broken that curse. And it's up to you after you come to Christ to go after that. And it doesn't just stop at you. If you have children, it will go to your children. You may be fine. You may say, I don't have this problem. I don't wrestle with things that I used to. Well, congratulations, but do you have children? Okay, then you're already too late. You need to jump on that because it goes right to the kids. And God forbid if adults have a hard time getting right, how much more can a child struggle? There were things I had to I had to go after anger that was passed down through generations in my family. It, there were things that I had to watch out for because I knew I would be easily susceptible to certain things because it was just running in my family. That's why you can't turn a blind eye to things that make you uncomfortable. If child molestations, if you had a parent, if you had a sibling, if you were molested, then you need to be watching out for your child. Don't turn a blind ear or or uh, I'm sorry, not a blind ear. Don't turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to something because it makes you uncomfortable. Go after it. Depression can be contracted through sex, which is why it's important that when you're out here, you're not having sex outside of marriage. God has his reasons. People will give you a billion reasons why they choose to do what they do. 
I stole the money because I needed it. I had sex with that person because I wanted to feel better. Not even taking into consideration the consequences that are hurting you. It's not hurting God. It's hurting you directly. This is going into your soul. And kudos to people that get tested for STDs and wear condoms. But let me tell you something. All the condoms and STD testing in the world will not block you or stop you from getting a sexually transmitted demon. Whether it sounds like a furry tale or not, the word don't lie. And you open yourself up to spiritual impartation and spiritual transfer. I remember growing up in the city seeing a billboard that said, when you have sex with one person, it's like you had sex with 10,000 people because that person you slept with slept with somebody, and they slept with somebody, and it goes on and on. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. But let's look at it spiritually because if one person has a, a spirit of depression, anger, anxiety, and you sleep with that person, now you have it, then you pass it on. And it gets like, How much stuff are we carrying around and transferring with us? How it's hard to pray. It's hard to study because you're becoming more filled. And the more we become filled, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't understand because Satan's job is to keep you blind. He can do that through sex. Look how everything is sexed up. Even then going after children, sexualizing children, aim it, cartoons, commercials, everything, because that's the easy way for him to be able to get in. Depression can also be an attack from the spirit world. Maybe you're not out here dipping and dabbing in the world. Maybe you don't struggle with mental illness. But maybe you're just in a thick spiritual warfare. That's why you have to put on your armor. None of us are exempt from this. Don't ever think that you were so advanced in the spirit realm where you can't ever be brought to a low place. Philippians 2.5 said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's up to us to renew our minds daily. This is a daily walk. And those spirits, whatever your spirit is, whatever your weakness is, whatever sin or weight that easily besets you, those attacks from the spirit world come to destroy you. And it's up to us. God doesn't make us do anything. He doesn't force our will. It's up to us to go after those things through prayer, through fasting, through testimony. I was raised in church, so I knew, I always knew suicide was wrong. But regardless of knowing, as I grew up and I left the church, I was your average rebellious preacher's kid, and I went out into the world. I sought so hard to find happiness in the world that it was becoming mental torture because I could not find it. I didn't want it in the word. I wanted it in the world. And no matter how hard I went after it, it would be so close and it would slip away. And situations would come, and before I knew it, my mental torture state was so bad I said that's it I can't do this no more I don't want to live I can't function I felt like I had no purpose because I was fighting God and see some people think that Christians can't fight God but you can you can fight them you can try but you can fight them to the point of I don't want to do this God I'm even after salvation when he tell us to give up things I don't, I don't want to give it up when he tell us to cut certain people out of our life but I don't want to cut them out God when he tell us we shouldn't be uh having certain conversations that's not godly. We shouldn't be in certain places anymore because we have to be a difference. We don't want to sacrifice our feelings and we not let go. All those things come back to hurt us. And I remember the day I decided to end it all. I'm done. I can't do this. I said, you know what? I was taught suicide, but I can't do this. I don't want, I'm gone. And it was in minutes. My mother who is a prophet Strong spiritual sermon. I hadn't talked to her. I hadn't seen her. I forgot she had a key. She popped up at my bed. Like, literally, I looked up, and she was standing on at the foot of my bed, scared to mess out me. Nobody but God, because, see, that was him still calling me. Still calling me. How many times does he call you? Think about yourself. Before you got to the place to where you were, how many people did he send after you? How many sermons did you hear? How many thoughts did you have? He constantly comes after us think for one second that when someone has ended their life that he didn't go after them. They made a choice to reject him. It's hard for us sometimes to accept that because we had family members or friends or close acquaintances of people that are no longer here because they took their life, and we don't want to accept the reality that they rejected God. We want to say things like they were a good person. They were a good person to you, but what does the scripture say about good people? It says your righteousness is as filthy rags. When God looks at you, he sees one of two things, the blood 
or no blood. He don't see your deeds. He don't see if you're a good person. That's something we made up to make us feel good about ourselves, a good moral person. Morals come from scripture. So if you want to be a good moral person, but you don't want to belong to Christ, so now what you're doing is you want to take his principles, but you don't want to live by his word. So now you're stealing his, his philosophies, but your spirit don't line up. There are no good people. We're either saved or we're not. We either reject Christ or we don't. It's, it's just that simple. Doesn't always sound good, don't feel good. Personally, my opinion don't even always line up with the word, but I guess what? My opinion don't matter. I have to say it to myself. So once we are delivered, because Christ will bring us through whatever we're struggling with, but if we choose to go back into those same situations, we are entangled and overtaken by the thing that we needed to be set free from, whether it's relationships, whether it's struggling financially, whatever it was. It's interesting because I grew up, it was nothing for me to see demons being cast out of people, okay? I grew up in, in a church that did that. Nowadays, people think it's entertainment. They make movies out of it. They think it's funny to play with the devil. But there were times when a pastor did not cast out a demon of it with somebody because they wasn't ready. Your will has to be ready. Now, you you go ahead and lay hands, and by the authority of God, that spirit moved because that person's will wasn't broken. Those spirits will return with seven more. Bible speaks of that. And then the state of that man is worse than he started off. So be careful. You may know someone that's depressed, that's despair. You want to go lay hands. I'm going to cast this off. You better be careful because the person's will has to be submitted to God. All you need is a want to. God recognizes that sometimes we don't even have the ability. When you feel like you got bricks on your shoulders and you say, God, it's hard for me to pray, he recognizes your weakness. That's why he says, in your weakness, you are made perfect because of my strength. It's not by power or by might, but by my spirit. He understands that. And so be careful. Some people, they they hand hungry, want to lay hands, want to cast out stuff, want to get... You don't want to. The person needs to have a want to because the scripture says, if you are willing, I will make you able. There are a lot of things that we have to do that we feel like we don't have the ability. That's good because if we had the ability, we wouldn't need God. But we have to have the willingness of heart and mind to first do that. That's why we have to work out our own soul salvation because this is personal to us. The thing about this topic I really wanted to hone in on, I'm going to caveat to some very frequently asked questions. I've talked to people about this. I've heard Christians debate. One thing I don't do, I don't debate the word. I will say what the scriptures are, and that's it. If you're offended, I pray that you calm down. If you're confused, I pray that you get clarity because it's not up to us to try to give the word in a way that makes people happy and comfortable. Give them the word. Let God work it out and move on. So let's talk about the two top subjects that I hear is suicide or unforgivable sin. When we talk about an unforgivable sin, people got the term unforgivable uh, referring to something that you can't be forgiven of. Now, Matthew 12, 31 through 32 specifically specifies blasphemy as being a sin that you won't be forgiven of. And it talks about if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you are eternally damned. So we know you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, you can't be forgiven. People try to take that and say, well, he didn't say suicide, but let me explain something to you because this is how people misconstrue scriptures and take the scriptures out of context. So when someone says you can repent of suicide, we first need to define what repentance is, okay? Repentance is an admission of guilt. You are admitting, you are aware that you are guilty because you have done something wrong. Not going to do, but you have done something wrong. You recognize that your sins whipped and killed Jesus. You recognize that every sin that we've done and sins we will do are the reason why he was on that cross. We all had a part in it. Every lash had our name on it. We don't repent before we intentionally sin. Okay? Sorry, an apology is not repentance. A lot of people are sorry because they've been caught. The jail is full of prisoners that go to court and say, judge, I'm sorry, because they were caught, not because of their actions. So when we repent to God, we repent with a broken spirit and a contrite heart because we recognize 
what sin is. We recognize it as the devil's eternal nature. We recognize it as Jesus needing to leave heaven and be sacrificed for us. We recognize it as being eternally separated from God, and we strive for obedience. We first repent. Now, Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. I can't repent and say, Lord, please forgive me for committing adultery on my husband. Get up, get in the car, go down the street and commit adultery. That was not repentance. Okay? So don't fool yourself into thinking or believing that repenting for a premeditated sin or hoping that moments before you die that you will have time to repent, and that's acceptable to God. Because in a state of suicidal thoughts, God is the furthest thing from your mind. I can tell you what I know personally. And if he does cross your mind, you feel like he failed you. He's the furthest thing from your mind. If God was on your mind or anyone's mind when they get to that point where they're ready to end their life and they were really repentful, it would be, Lord, help me get through this. Show me another way. Don't leave me this way. It wouldn't be I have no solution because I rejected I rejected my solution. I've accepted my despair. You have to understand that. You don't want to appear before God when he hasn't called you, okay? You don't want to appear before God and he has not called you. Another thing that people misconstrue, oh, my loved one took their life, but they were born through my daughter because the day she died, my daughter was born. Listen. That's the trick of the enemy. We're not coming back as another person. We're not coming back as a tree. We're not coming back as an animal. We're not coming back at all. Now, growing up, I love the Lion King just as much as the next little kid, but the circle of life, that's completely false. Reincarnation is not real. People try to use science to justify reincarnation through there's an energy transfer. When one energy this, one energy that, listen, The flesh can't interpret the spiritual things of God. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So when they want to talk about reincarnation, Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, once, not two, three, four, five, you're not cat woman with nine lives, once to die, and after this the judgment. When they want to talk about, oh, uh, I'm going to repent, but it's suicide, seconds before I give up the soul. I took a bottle of pills and I'm going to say, Lord, forgive me. That's not even repentance because you can't repent without acknowledging that your sins crucified Jesus. And if you realize that you're not going to commit a sin that's not covered because you intentionally did it. So conclusion, how do we help? We don't want to just stay out here. We want to educate, but we want to help. The first thing is to be careful in your approach. When you know someone is in despair, is in distress, is is in depression, possibly suicide, possibly not, don't try to figure out what people are. That's not important. But when you are dealing with someone, whether they come to you or you go to them, be careful in your, in your approach because delivery does matter, especially with these young people. I mean, if you stir them too long, they'll cry, the millennials. But what I'm saying is be careful in your, like, see, my approach, that was probably just harsh to some people. But delivery matters. As long as you don't compromise the message, I will always speak the truth. No one will ever force me to apologize for speaking a word. You'll never, I'll never do it. But my delivery is important because you can't speak spirit to the world. They don't know what you're saying. They don't understand what you're talking about. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, no, I'm not religious, but I'm a spiritual person. I'm, you know, I'm very spiritual. I pray. I don't know who they pray to, but they'll say, I'm a spiritual person. Well, we all are, we're all spirit first. You can't, uh, we're all spirit first. That doesn't mean you're spiritually in tune with your creator. That's a confused person. They don't understand. You can't start quoting scriptures to people that don't understand spirit because it'll sound like a foreign language to them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural man receiveth not, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So you have to understand, 
when you're talking to someone that's not of Christ, ask for wisdom and knowledge in your approach so that they can understand. First, acknowledge the person's pain. Don't tell people how to feel. Don't tell people they're overreacting. Somebody's car went up on them and their lover left them, and you like, if you don't get over this, don't do that because they're not overreacting. They're overreacting to you, but that's their reaction. Overreacting is relative. Just like someone that can't lift 50 pounds, you don't look at them and say they're weak. You can lift 100, they can lift 50, but guess what? Someone can lift 200. Would that make you weak? So every situation, every storm is different. My storms are not your storms. I'm not going to look at your storms and call you weak because you're struggling. I'm going to help you out of it. And please don't tell people it'll get better because it might not. You don't want to give people false hope. I need someone who was going through a divorce, and they wanted me to pray that the spouse would come back. I can't do that. I don't know if that person is going to come back or not. My concern is you need to be okay whether they come back or not. That's a person who wants their problem fixed. That's not a person who's ready to submit to God to see what his plan is. That's a person of I'm hurt, make me feel better. So, see, when people are coming to you, make sure your discernment is on point. Pray. Study your word so that you know how to approach people. And most, most definitely pray with them. Always pray with them. But praying with someone sounds a lot different than praying for someone. And, I, and this is what I mean. There's someone in my life that I love dearly who is a drug addict. If I'm going to sit down and pray with him, I'm not going to pray with him and say, Lord, bless him not to overdose. Because you know what he'll hear? Oh, I could keep doing drugs. She's going to pray that I don't overdose. I'll be fine. No, I'm very careful. I will pray prayers with him, and I'll say, Lord, lead his heart to you. Give him a hunger and thirst after righteousness. God, put people in his life to send him the word. God, show him that you love him. Uh-huh. But guess what? When he's not around, you know what my prayers sound like? Lord, take the satisfaction of the drug away. I pray, God, that you bless him against kidnappings against murders, I said kidnapping, he's an adult, but against abductions, against murders, against overdosing, God, bring him to his knees, to a place of repentance, strip him of everything until all he can do is look up. Now, if I prayed that with him, it would scare him to death. He would feel like I'm putting some type of witchcraft on him. So we need wisdom to know the difference of what we're praying for the person versus when they're not around. I had someone who was going through a breakup, but she was fornicating and she up and she's hurting and in pain. If I'm praying with you, I'm praying that God show you how valuable you are to him and that you can't be purchased and that, you know, he already died for you and your prices. But when you're not there, it's a, <laughs> it's a different prayer. You don't want to scare people is what I'm saying. You, you want to have wisdom. So when you're encouraging the saint versus encouraging the sinner, it's a difference. Encouraging the center, repentance is key. Repentance is key. You don't want to start piling on scriptures talking about God's favor and someone's life isn't lining up with the scriptures. Well, how do you know? Because you know about a fruit. If you don't see, that is your judgment. Because, see, the Bible says judge not. We're not to be in people's business and telling them every little thing that they're doing. But God says you will know them by their fruit. That is the righteous judgment. If you don't see the fruit, there's nothing there. So don't pile on God's promises to people that aren't living anything because it's actually in contrast to the scriptures. Don't start shooting off prosperity rants. Don't tell a girl who boyfriend left her, girl, he's going to come back. God's going to bless you. That's fine. Don't do that. We can't skip repentance and deliverance and expect to walk in wholeness. So we say to that person, listen, I know he's gone and I know you're hurt. I've been there. I'm sorry. But I need you to know how valuable you are, even if he never comes back. That we have to take a different approach. I'm tired of hearing people put God's favor and promises on people that haven't even repented yet, okay? When we're encouraging a saint, remind them of their spiritual war, their spiritual warfare. Don't judge them for how they got into the situation. Encourage them on how to get out of the situation. So regardless, when someone is in despair, let them know that Jesus already died for them so they wouldn't have to. And that problem or situation that they are allowing to take priority over their entire world is not worse than their soul to hell. You can tell them that they can't see clearly out of teary eyes, so trust a person's vision who hasn't been compromised. Show them Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come on to me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a rest that we can't obtain in this world. We think good sleep is 10 hours. 
try spiritual rest. Spiritual rest is no matter if it's 60 tornadoes around me, every area of my life has been touched. I still have peace. It goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can't carry our burden. God says, exchange it for mine. I'm going to take everything, and I'm going to clean it up for you, and I'm going to fix it up for you. Imagine those of us, imagine coming home, and, and you got a maid that's cleaning, house sparkling clean. You got a chef that cooked all three meals, kids cleaning in bed, everything ready, and you can just sit down and relax. You don't have to worry about nothing. That's Oh, that's why I love the Lord so much, because he will clean up messes that we created strictly out of love. Show him Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. That's also a great scripture for abortion, for women that feel like it's okay to kill their child because it's not on plan with with their life and what they wanted. And unfortunately, yes, people get pregnant. They didn't plan on getting pregnant. Unfortunate situations, rape, all types of things lead to that. But the life itself is not a mistake. None of us are. The simple fact that it takes billions of sperm, and only one can get in that egg, you know, unless you're a twin, one gets in. You beat out billions of sperm. You're not a mistake. It says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. That's the number one mistake people make. Conception does not start in the womb. Conception starts in the spirit. And if this don't make sense to you, then pray that you get a spiritual air. Because like I said before, the spiritual things are not discerned by the natural man. They're foolishness. What I'm saying right now is considered foolishness to some people because they can't hear. That's why the scripture says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. So before you were in the womb, before that child was in your womb, he gave you that soul and placed it in that womb. That's where life starts. It's impossible that you're a mistake. It's completely impossible. That would make God a lie. Explain to them Genesis 127, that we were all created in his image. Romans 8, 28, 31 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He didn't say yours. That's where the unhappiness lies. It ain't your purpose. It's his purpose. True happiness in Christ anyway. There were things that I wanted to do and things that I thought I would do. And once I went God's way, that's where my joy came from. We don't know what we want. Think about all the things you thought you wanted and when you got it, it wasn't what you thought. The flesh appetite. It has no end. The scripture says the flesh cannot be satisfied. In the flesh, well, it's no good thing. If I sit here and give you all your wildest dreams, I promise you you won't be happy because that void that only Christ can fill, that's what you need. And the person that has decided to end their life rejected him filling that void and ended their life because the void was still there. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Everybody on that job treat me wrong because you're making a stand for Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? Your family treating you funny now because you saved and you're different. They don't like who you voted for. They don't like your Facebook post. They don't like because you act different. If God be for us, who can be against us? Your kids, they don't want to hear nothing about God. They act like they don't even know who Jesus is. If God be for us, who can be against us? That spouse giving you hell, whether they saved or not. If God be for us, who can be against us, even when your own health turns against you? If God be for us, who can be against us? The problem is we forget who we are. We forget who we belong to. We forget that the same God in the Old Testament that parted red seas and rained fire down from heaven and allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and the big Negro, to stay in that furnace and not get burned? It's the same God today, but we forget that we lose track, and then we feel in despair. How can we ever be in despair? He spoke us into existence. That's who we serve. That's why we have to remind ourselves of this. Second Corinthians 29, 11-13, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. So this is what we are, troubled, perplexed, persecuted. But this is what we are not. We're not distressed. We're not in despair. We're not forsaken, and we're not destroyed. See, all of those latter words, that's the world. That's the world's acceptance, because once you choose to reject Jesus, you open yourself up for anything. 
So don't believe the lies of the enemy that God has forgotten about you. And maybe you're not suicidal, and that's great, but you may have let your dreams and your hopes die. You may have given up on a spouse because they didn't show up yet. You may have given up on having children. You may have given up on a career. You may have given up on yourself or given up on a family member or a parent or a child. But sometimes we got to let our dreams die so we can accept the dreams that he created for us. Our flesh don't know what we want. Our flesh doesn't even know what's good for us. We have to re-up. It's like being in a car, and eventually you run out of gas. The car stops. The joy is our gas because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you low on joy, I guarantee you low on strength. If you low on strength, I guarantee you low on joy. So how do you re-up? You encourage yourself through the word. Matthew 11, 28. Genesis 127, write them down, Jeremiah 15, Romans 828, because this is what's going to get us out. This is what's going to get us through. And you know what? I, I ask that you share this with someone tonight. I ask that you send it to somebody. Send it to a person that's as happy as Mickey Mouse, because you know what? You don't know what somebody's going through. They too busy trying to impress you, and you don't care nothing about them. You too busy trying to impress you, I don't care nothing about you. Send it to somebody. Because the word can reach everybody. And I specifically pray because somebody's going to listen to this and they're not going to end their life. It's just that simple. Listen to it and care yourself. Write those scriptures down and read it. We are out of time. I think this is the longest I ever went. But you know what? It's okay. Because I really wanted to get to the bottom of this. Because stop spreading the false doctrine that suicide is okay and you can repent. You don't understand repentance if you say something like that. And you don't accept the fact that the person has already rejected Christ before it gets to that point. Yes, it can be a mental illness. Yes, it can be spiritual. No, it's not for you to go try to figure out what that person was. That part is none of your business. All you do is you pray for them. You pray specific prayers. You share with them, and then that's all you can do. Then you worry about yourself. We, we got to work with our own selves. If we work on us more, we wouldn't even have time to try to point out what's wrong with other people if we just worked on us because we enough work. And having said that, we are out of time. Thank you for tuning in. I pray it blessed you. I pray that now we have a better understanding, that we are able to share. Send it to somebody. Let the words do the talk, and you just do your part. God will take care of the rest. I love you. God bless you. Good night.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.